welcome back to another episode of the Getting the Cash Flow Game podcast with Kay and Kay. Today, we're going to keep uh, keep on talking about real estate like we always do. <laughs> but uh, today, we are going to talk about your why and uh, why multifamily and what is your why. So the benefits of multifamily and why you personally are driven to invest in anything, uh, but in our case, multifamily. Yeah, it was... Uh... I was talking to somebody this week. I think every week I talk to somebody. They're always like, I always tell people, I'm like, look, nobody is going to turn down. I want to buy something via cash flow. That's literally like, if you talk to anybody, everybody's like, of course I'd like to own rental property and have cash flow. Like, nobody's going to say, nah, that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound good. Making money doesn't sound like fun. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people that we meet, whether they're buying a single family or two to four unit or a multifamily, um, Look at the people already own it. I think most of them know why because they've already got past that point. But a lot of people are coming to us. So, and Crystal knows this. They're like all excited to get in this and that. And I stop people like, okay, cool. So, what's your why? What? What, do you, what does that matter? I go, oh, it matters. Then they're go, why does that matter? I just said it, it's gonna matter because your why to me determines how serious you are. If you're passionate about this, whatever. Because I really truly think that if this is something you really want to do, and you know, quit your job, fire your boss, or whatever they call it, right? Um, you really got to know your why and you got to make sure you're passionate about it. So I think knowing your why is big. And I don't know if we talked another episode about what the game plan is, but I think they go hand in hand. So well, Crystal, what's your, you like, what's your, uh, I'm going to, you, I'm going to ask you and you ask me. So what is your why? Whether it's one, two or five. What is my why? Uh, there's a couple, uh, there's more than a couple. Uh, so right now I would say my why is that I want freedom to do whatever it is that I want to do. So if I want to wake up tomorrow and say, I don't want to do loans anymore, I want to be able to say that. If I want to wake up tomorrow and say, you know what, let's just pack up and go on a trip, like spontaneously. Um, I want to be able to live my life on my terms and have freedom to do so. Um, And then it comes with all those other benefits. So I guess that is probably my one major why, but it's going to allow me to spend more time with my family when I want to, uh, allow us to travel more, allow me to have freedom to make business decisions because I want to, not because I have to. Uh, so that's my biggest why. Okay. What's um, your why? Is it similar? Are we on the same page? My why is, <laughs> I, think, I think my why is very similar. I think um, for me, I mean, I could dive a little bit more, but I'm not going to, let's just say I'm going to piggyback on yours. You already said that is obviously I think um, as the girls get older, I'd like to be more and more a part of their lives. I think just from a fundamental place because I think it's going to be important. So I think when your kids are a little bit older and you're not there, it tends to cause problems in their life. So I'd rather be around more. So I think, you know, investing and doing this would give me that ability, which really comes down to freedom. Yep. Um, But the other thing I think why a lot of people do invest in real estate, I think us too, um, currently in the future is I think another thing is, um, you know, the generational wealth, but also the taxes. The taxes are so big, and I think when you understand that part of it, well, you're um, getting into the benefits right now. Yeah, but I'm just saying that is a why, a why for us. Like for we, you, yeah, I get like it. we are gonna buy a building this year. Like even if look, the market sometimes like oh, does it make sense? But it's like there's people that buy real estate every year depending on the market because they literally have to because of ta- tax reasons. Or, and it's not necessarily that they have to, but if, if you look at your, you know, if you meet with your CPA and you're planning 
your year, uh, what kind of income, what your income looks like, and then your CPA is kind of backing into that saying you can expect to pay X amount of taxes. Some people just go, okay, well, it is what it is. I'm going to pay tax. And some people go, well, how the heck can I not pay taxes or pay a lot less in taxes? And so for us, that's what we do. We look at our income. Okay, our income's looking like this this year. How many, how do we have any operating losses that we can apply to that income? If not, what does our tax thing look like? Okay, now how much real estate do we have to buy in order to avoid paying taxes or to at least significantly reduce it? Yeah, so I think that's a big why. The other thing I'm just going to say is that when we say freedom and stuff, um, I think some people think like I'm going to buy some buildings and just, you know, get off the grid and leave. I mean, that is an option, but that's not, we're not doing this to be like, I never want to work again because we are passionate. So that's why I said it's like, I think you do have to be passionate about this because look, you can start as a side hustle and for a lot of people it turns into, it usually starts as a side hustle, turns into, I want this to be a full-time thing, but passion is good because I think you really want to enjoy investing in real estate and do that. And if not, maybe you're just really passive with it. Like here's my money to syndicate or read or somebody else and I'm out of here. So anyways, I just want to put that in there. Some people think like they just do this and they never have to work again. Uh, yeah, well, owning real estate, like I think if, if you're going to own your own real estate, it's not a passive thing. It can be much more passive. Like you're not trading your time for dollars necessarily. So you could be on vacation, you could be sleeping, you could be hanging out with your family and your tenants are still going to pay their rent and you're still going to make cash flow, right? So there, there is a passive aspect to owning real estate that you don't have to trade your time for dollars. Uh, which is really good because you get into that. I think initially when you start working, you're like, great, I can, you know, I work this many hours, I can make this much money. And then you realize like, wow, life is really long. So do I really want to keep working a certain amount of time to make a certain amount of money? And like, when, when do you want that to end? And if you want it to end anytime soon, you, you got to get to work. Like you got to figure out how to make your money work for you. Um, so I think that's like the biggest thing. And you know, I kind of transitioning because you're sort of talking about some of the like benefits of owning multifamily. Um, you know, I had a conversation yesterday with a guy who found us online or something and he was saying, Shocker. yeah. So he was saying, uh, he was saying, you know, I own a bunch of like two to four unit properties and, you know, I'm talking to friends and like, so asking me all these questions about multifamily is like, I'm talking to some of my friends and they're like, oh no, you got to, you know, own five to 15 units because then you have to get an onsite manager. And, you know, like now, you you know, property managers and like real estate, like the rates are higher and the loans are more expensive. And he's like, I'm hearing this from other friends. I'm like, God, how terrible you have to have an onsite manager. Like, what would that be like? You know, and he's laughing, but it's really funny. So I think it depends on who you talk to. I think, you know, we've said it so many times before, but you have to be careful who you get your advice from, because a lot of times, like what I heard from that conversation was whoever he's talking to is, is scared of multifamily. Um, and when you're scared, you know, some of us jump in and learn more and some of us just stay away from it and continue doing what's comfortable. Uh, but we've, you know, talked about the many reasons why we think apartments are the right way to go and the more apartments, the better. Um, but let's dive into some of the benefits of owning multifamily in your mind. What for you are some of the benefits? What I like about multifamily is you could start with a five unit and by 20 years later, you can end up with a hundred unit building. So what I like about that is the scalability, right? And so I know most people, they start at five, they go, I'll never, there's no way I could ever get to hundred. 
but when they understand the game and how the thing and how this works over 20 years, you could be there in a lot less time as you and I know, right? So I like the build builds because if you own five homes to go to a hundred homes, that's a hundred homes. It's not that like we're saying it's bad. It's just, this is one building. It's, you know, one, maybe one building or five buildings and roofs. It's not a hundred roofs, hundred air conditionings, you know, hundred backyards, hundred front yards, you know, all this stuff. So I like the scalability because we understand the management side of it. Also, I think also is with multifamily, it's very, it's not about really, there's comps, but it's also, you can create value within the property, right? So you could buy a property, you could do things to the property, you could, you know. Hang on, let's go back, because you're going to the second thing. But like, let's just focus for a you minute. You asked me. Yeah, but, but you said something really good, is that you can go from a five unit to a hundred units. Yep. And why is that so important? I mean, like you mentioned, if you own one single family home, for one, when that tenant vacates, it's a hundred percent vacant. You have zero money and you probably still have a mortgage to pay. You definitely still have taxes and insurance to pay. You still got to pay the landscaper. You got to get everybody in there. When you own a four unit, you, somebody moves out, you're 25% vacant. How much cash flow are you really making on that? So I know people feel really comfortable in this box of having, you know, four unit properties because they can get a 30 year fixed mortgage and, you know, they can do all this stuff, but I, I think that is one aspect of safety that you don't have in, in multifamily, for example, like you can't get a 30 year loan, but do you really need a 30 year loan? Like how, how long have people ever, like how many people do you know that have ever kept a mortgage for 30 years? This, I mean, right now people are refining low rates. Maybe we'll, this will be the longest run in history after this. That's my guess because people are probably not going to refi because they're like, I can't get any better. But in this environment, how often are people refinancing? Oh, of course. Sometimes. Every six people months. People refined twice every last year. year. They refined yeah. twice at the beginning and the end. Right. Yeah. And some people didn't even wait six months to refine. Yeah, like no, they, and, it make, and it makes sense. So, no, I totally get it. No, I mean, I get that yeah. factor. I was talking, like, just more like why the why more, the benefits of multifamily. I just said the scale's big, but. I'm right. So, from a scale, that. from a scaling perspective, you know, we're saying basically the larger the property, the greater the efficiency. So there are people who are maybe scared of going into multifamily because, you know, financing is scary and you don't, you know, there's these other things. But what I kind of challenge people with on that is so it's not scary to you that you own a single family home and, and when somebody leaves, like that's money you're losing. Like that's not an investment. That's now becoming a liability to you. So if you also too, if you're going to stick on that, let's just talk about it. somebody vacates the property and you have a single family home that's, you know, 1500 square feet, right? but they do damage and you collect the one month's rent. Well, just to okay, replace cover. the floor in 1500 square feet or this, you, you, you pretty much could have just washed your cash flow. Or even years. to just paint. Like yeah. if let's say you have to paint, yeah. you know? Um, so, and that, that's, and depending on the standard too, that's in there. Like, I don't know where your home is, but you could have to have a, like a certain kind of standard to get a certain type of tenant. So like you mentioned, um, for example, our 30 unit building, that's if you had 30 individual homes, you have four walls, you know, exterior walls on each of those homes, front and backyards, like all those things. So at our 30 unit building, we have maybe three roofs that you would have to of 30 units. And there's, I think there's three, there's like three buildings with, you know, the four walls. Yep. So I have, you know, uh, I have 12 walls that so I have to worry about. Right. And three roofs instead of 30. So for me, I feel much more safe. And let's say if I have, two units vacant, I still have less than 10% vacancy. I'm still making plenty of cash flow when my units turn. 
Uh, so for me, that's where I feel safe. And, and speaking on the point of somebody saying, oh, an onsite manager, I love our onsite managers. Well, like, that's just, to me, that's a lack of experience. Right, for sure. But there are these concerns for people who are looking to make that jump from maybe four units to seven units or 10 units or and to keep growing. Um, certainly, I, I mean, our onsite manager is amazing. I mean, we have her go check things for us without having to go to the property. We have them do a lot of things. So um, that was kind of an interesting thing that I heard yesterday from another another person. So yes, there's a lot of different dynamics with multifamily, but you can certainly scale more and the cash flow becomes more exciting. I mean, if you have a four unit and you're making a thousand dollars a month in cash flow, that's okay. But when you have a 30 unit and you're making 12, 13,000 a month cash flow, that seems a little bit more exciting in my personal opinion. Yeah. And also too, like if you go, if you get to a hundred unit building, what you understand is when you start, you know, you get to 15, you get an onsite, people freak out. But when you get to, you know, 60, 70, 100 units, it's actually really great because you have an onsite, right? That's like literally you have somebody that works full time employee, employee on, on, site. on site that does the leasing. That, then you have a full time um, porter, worker, whatever you want to call it, handyman guy that's yeah. on the property. So they're dedicated. Then on top of that, you have your storage unit. And you're like, what is a storage unit that has all the little, like it's a little, your little Home Depot, right? You got the plumbing parts and all this. So instead of some some guy having to keep charging to drive to Home Depot and all this crap, it's on the property. So it's very efficient. It's easier. And then you can sometimes bring help in. So it's just great because they're there. And sometimes both parties live on the property. And so when something happens, somebody's there all the time. So from not just efficiency, but from a, like a customer service, like uh, eyes on the property, it's, it's just it's like 24-7 almost because somebody lives there. I just like that factor. Because if not, somebody has to call, they got to go there. When you have a house, somebody gets to call somebody, they got to go there. You got to get out of bed. Or even a five up. unit or a 10 yeah. unit. You but know? when you have an onsite, yeah. like, what do you mean? You just call them. Hey, wake up. There's a, we got to call. They probably got to call before you. Yeah. So I don't know. I just like that aspect. Of so it. kind of going back into what you were starting to talk about, which was basically increased NOI equals increased value uh that's sort of I, the second reason you know like another benefit a huge benefit of multi-family versus residential you can kind of compound on your example of your 100 unit building like you know yeah i mean it's great because uh look it's it's pretty simple you can have a 100 unit building and you go oh chris and i go we're gonna raise the rent over the next year and every 100 bucks everybody's like 100 bucks a month what's that and then you go oh wait a minute that's 10 you know time that's ten thousand dollars a month that's 120 thousand. oh but then you go, oh, that's a lot more cash though. But then Crystal goes, well, let me throw a cap rate on it and back it in my sizer. And that makes the value of the building worth probably what? You have a phone. She's the pro, not me. It's just okay. an example. If you have a hundred year building, you add $10,000 to it in a San Diego environment. So you're going to do 120,000. 120,000. Um, at like a five cap, let's just say like conservatively, you just added $2.4 million in value to your apartment building in addition to getting $10,000 additional cash flow. So the uh, so, so just to stop real quick. So just stop and think about that. So if you have a guy that has a, a thousand unit portfolio, just stop and think about this. And he raises his rents. He goes, I'm going to raise my $50. rents. No, I'm going to raise my rents over my buildings, a hundred across the board over the next two years. And you just take that equation right there. He just, he just made $24 million. Yep. So what happens is, is it's simple. Like on houses, when you add value, it's based off comps. People go, people come and go, Hey, I'm getting a lot more rent for this house. It's four unit. I'm going to make more money. Right. 
Yes, no. you'll make more cash flow, no, but you're not no, adding value. No, but it's worth more. No, it's not. Why have this cap rate? No, you have to have a comp to support. Even though we have to have a comp, but you're going off with the rents. You know what I'm saying? So you could have a weird, like a you know, a three bedroom, two bath. It's hard to find comps, and they don't really have that. You might not get the, you know, you're not going to get the same same extreme as you would with like a multifamily. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was just explaining this that that same guy yesterday uh, that you know you're scared with multifamily, but the the good news is you can build equity so fast. Like for example, even just any kind of value add, like for example, us adding the ADU. Uh, the accessory dwelling unit onto our 30 unit building. I mean, it's going to cost us maybe, you know, 15 grand, probably 20. Um, but at the end of the day, we're going to have one extra unit on our building. So if comps at, you know, I, I get to include that income for financing, I get to include that income for val value. So I'm literally going to increase my building by at least $200,000 by spending $20,000 to have an ADU approved. So for me, that's an excellent return on investment. I don't know how else you're going to do that. I mean, and, and speaking of that, uh, a lot of residential lenders are not looking at properties with ADUs the same way that we are with apartments. For us, if it's a legal unit um, and it's been permitted and everything, we're counting it as a unit, we're counting that income. For you on the residential side, you're not. So it's not uh, it's not correlating in value for you. It's not necessarily helping you from a financing perspective on us. We get the value. You do get the value. We get the value. But here's the problem is, is no, you get the value, but you can't use the rental income towards your income. Okay. So if, you, if you're if you buying a two unit with an ADU, you can use the legal two unit income, but not the ADU because Fannie and Freddie doesn't recognize it. The other problem is, is you have some appraisers out there that say, this is an ADU. It's technically not a three unit because the zoning for a three unit is different. What's different? Uh, crystal, you know, what is it? Parking. It's got to have this structure, that. Look, we've seen some ADUs done. You couldn't say that's a three unit. You would not pass the building inspection. You wouldn't even start, you know, there's so many more loopholes to get around. Right. So then they're getting maybe like $30,000 in value for their ADU. No, versus so you can have an appraiser. We've seen it. Like one gives you this, another one gives you. So there's this argument: the price. No, that's not worth it. It's worth. I'll give you eighty thousand. No. And most of these people are spending more than that amount of money to even get their ADU approved. So yeah. that's a very frustrating experience. So it's an inconsistent experience at best on the residential yeah. side. Yeah, it still adds value, but it's not as consistent to the value you're going to get with the multifamily and how people look at it. Another benefit. Yeah, it is. Um, I would say another huge benefit. I mean, it's funny because it's the financing is competitive and the bigger you go, the better the financing. I mean, people like, if you, you know, Grant Cardone, that's buying, you know, hundred, $200 million deals and putting, you know, $80 million down and getting a 10 year IO at 2.25 or a Michael Becker that's locking in, you know, a hundred million dollar deal and getting a floating you know, LIBOR, Freddie, Freddie Mac LIBOR, and he has floating rates at 1.75 and 1.9 to 2.0 with a, you know, cap on it um, from JP Conklin. Um, it's ridiculous. Like Michael Becker's like, I locked in a 10-1 IO at four, and now I'm floating rate at 1.75. I'm tripling my cash flow from when I originally underwrote this deal to making two, three times the cash flow. And then also speaking from a more realistic standpoint, if you're going from residential to commercial, uh, you know, our rates are pretty competitive. I mean, you can get rates as low as 3.2 on a five year to maybe, you know, three in a, 
a 3.75 on a 10 year, the rates are pretty competitive. I think, that, you know, the difference is, is you're not going to get the 30 year fix, but we've got competitive financing. We have interest only options available that are going to help increase your cash flow. So the, the financing is very competitive. Um, it's, it's, for me, it's very competitive. It's been at competitive rates for a very long time. Um, so it's sort of a myth that the financing is not good. Uh, certainly things cost more. So let's say, you know, for example, the appraisal, I think is the biggest one that stands out, but at the same, in the same token, if you're doing a residential home and you're paying, you know, you're going to do a $200,000 loan and it's costing you $500 for an appraisal that feels expensive. Right. But if you do a $1.5 million home and the appraisal's six or $700, whatever, that, that feels a little bit more re reasonable. Same, same. I mean, a here. four unit appraisal now, it costs about a thousand dollars. Right. So a, like a five or a six unit building, I mean, generally our appraisals are costing anywhere from 2000 to $2,500. So on a six unit, that feels expensive on a 30 unit. It feels like a drop in the bucket. So it, it's, it's really the same thing as re from residential to multifamily. Um, but certainly it's more because you have more units you're looking at cap rate, you're looking at comps, you're looking at price per square foot, you're like doing all these different comparables um, for to evaluate the value of an apartment building. So it certainly does cost you more and you have more units. So uh, again, I think on a per unit basis, it's not really that much more expensive than residential. You're just seeing a number that's larger than what you're used to seeing on a one to four. Yeah, the other thing is, um, is the cash out. So, the problem when you go, let's just take a four unit, right? Even if it's conforming, your max at 70%. Okay. But as soon as you start getting um, 70, you start to take a hit on rate for sure. Like you're going to be paying discount points because the rate's sky high. The other thing is, is okay, I'm talking conforming. What if you say, what if you go buy a four unit and it's a jumbo, you know, it's by the beach or something. You start getting really whacked on LTVs because you go to a private bank, you know this, and they're, they're like, well, I've got this. $3 million, you know, four unit, great. I VRBO it, whatever. I rent it out, great. I'm sure, you know, they get good rents, but they're like, I want to go yank 75% cash out. Ain't going to happen. They, some of them are 50, 60%. They're like, what? But you can go get an apartment building. It's by cash flow. So if you have an apartment building and it's a, it's worth $10 million, they don't go, well, Crystal, you're in the jumbo, 10 million. So we're capped at 50%. That's not how it works. So as you go higher up, in the jumbo space with residential lending and people have these coastal properties, we get calls all the time like, hey, I want to yank this out. I'm like, there's no lender that's going to take your four unit beachfront that's worth $4 million, great, and give you like 70%. They're just not going to do that, you know? So, and it, we value, you know, we qualify your loan based on uh, the cash flow of the building. So, that we're not going to give you a loan, you know, to at a level where the building's not cash flowing to cover the payment. So, uh, and then we, we also, you know, they put a buffer in there. They want to be safe. So, you know, honestly, why would you want to buy a building if they can't cover the payment? So I get it. You know, that's the kind of scarier part is that we use a debt coverage ratio and you might not get the 75% that you want. Um, it might qualify for less, but there are strategies and other things that you can get. There's bridge loans. There's, you know, interest only loans. Like we've got a lot of competitive options on the financing front. So uh, and certainly with refi cash out, we don't have the same, you know, we don't usually have the same sort of seasoning requirements that you hear about in residential either. So if you buy a building and you add value to it and you want to, you know, eight, nine, 10 months down the road, go refi and pull cash out. We do have some limitations, but you can actually get credit for the money that you've invested into the property. And we can underwrite based on the new income that you're getting and get you cash out based on that. 
uh, that's a very unique thing that you can't necessarily do in uh, residential. So certainly so many reasons why the financing is competitive for multifamily. Yeah, one more thing I'm going to say on that. You brought a good point. So I work, obviously, I do residential financing. Um, we do a lot of four-unit properties, and it's, uh, you know, people do make cash flow, but I do get people come to me, and they go fix up their four-unit property, and um, they have a massive loss on their tax return. They go, well, I did this, and I did that. I go, great. So can we add this back in? No. Why? We don't do that with Fannie and Freddie. It's black or white. So you can get said, well, I just redid all the four units. I redid the roof. This whole thing, it's one time. Like, we, we, They're going to hit you with it. But if you went to Crystal and you're like, hey, I bought a 30-unit building. I vacated it. I spent you know, $700,000 in improvements. And then Crystal gets your tax return. And however you did it, there's just massive expenses on there. Well, Crystal's like, what'd you do? She can just go get the list. Here it's common sense on rank, go to the end and go, oh, okay. So they're not going to penalize you on your, like basically what I'm saying is you get penalized on your income from residential. They're not going to penalize you as that. Exactly. So there is that difference. Um, moving on to, uh, I think the other benefit I want to jump into uh, is I wanted to say 1031 exchange. And what I notice is people, when you're buying, uh, when you're selling a multifamily and buying another multifamily and somebody buying your multifamily, it's just a different game. When people sell these $100 million deals, the crystal tape, sometimes they don't close for four to six months. And you're like, what? First of all, the loan might take 90 days. But secondly, when you're selling a $100 million asset and you're exchanging $70 million, you probably want to make sure you identify a property and you execute and you don't have a tax liability because that'd be a big problem. So the one thing in residential I find is a lot of people sell and then they want to go exchange out in an environment like this. And they're like, well, what if I don't find some in 45 days? But they're used to a buyer coming in saying, why well, have a 30-day lock? What do you mean I got a 60 or 90-day lock? That costs, like, my client, like, right now, we have one. She has to do 60-day lock. It's a huge hit to extend the rate. And she's like, why am I paying for this? I'm like, well, you got in contract. Well, why can't they close quicker? Well, they need an upleg. Well, they had an upleg. It fell out. Now they're extending the whole thing to the whole time. So I think this is like 60 days. So Crystal's business is more used to that. Residential, everybody wants to close 30, 45 days. I was just throwing that in there because I think when it, when it comes to multifamily and you're scaling up and you're exchanging, it's just more common in your environment to like go if people want. We have a little more flexibility. Our rules are not super hard and fast. Um, you guys like, let's say that we do a 60-day lock with a lender. Uh, it's usually a 60 to 90-day lock. Uh, for one, we usually have plenty of time, but let's say that the seller needs to extend because they can't find their up leg and you're running past your lock a little bit. It's not a hard and fast, like you lost your lock uh, situation. They're pretty flexible and a little bit more common sense. I mean, this is a business loan. This is not like a consumer you know, loan. Um, so we just have different rules that we go by and it's it's handled more like a business transaction, a little more common sense. And the other thing on the... the, uh, the um... 1031 is this is from uh, Dean Graciosi uh, when he's interviewed by Grant. He, Dean went out in the last crisis uh, crash and bought 2,500 homes. And he told uh, Grant, it was a great decision to hire to manage them all. And then it was even uh, even better decision, even a worse decision when I had to sell them all. Sell them all at the same time and exchange into multifamily. He's like, my, I, he's like, well, I almost died from the stress because you can imagine, like, so 
coordinating the closings to happen all very closely together, how many exchanges, stuff falling apart, trying to keep it together, you know, all of that. Yeah, it becomes very stressful. And we've had a lot of clients personally who did that, especially in the last downturn where they bought a bunch of single family homes or condos. and condos. They made Broken. huge returns. It was great. But the sale and the selling prop property to trade up was an absolute nightmare. Yeah. So my point is, is let's say you own the 10 homes or you own the 10 units, the 10 homes, you got to coordinate, you got to sell them together, you exchange them together, you got to put it all together. And then you're going to go try to buy that bigger property. But if you own a 10 unit, you sell, it's just, it's just easier. That part of it is easier and not, you know, if one or two loans, houses fall out, but you need the money to buy your uplay, it could just cause a problem. You know, I don't know if it's bridge financing or what, but yeah. The other reason why I really like multifamily too, is that there is multiple ways to invest. Um, and I don't think, you know, I think a lot of us are hearing about syndicators and all of this, but I, I don't think a lot of people understand what it is. So, I mean, of course you can buy your own real estate. Um, great. Okay. But some of us don't want to, you know, maybe you have your own business. Maybe you have a job that requires a lot of you. Maybe you have that and you have, you know, young kids and you just don't have the time to dedicate. And maybe you just don't, aren't like as passionate about it. You don't want to go out and build the relationships, put in the offers, negotiate the offers, walk the property, do all the due diligence. Then, you know, find a property manager, manage that person, review all the stuff. Like you just want to give your money to someone and you just want to get a return on it. Um, that's what I love about multifamily is you can buy it directly if you want, you can buy it with a partner if you want, and then you can also invest passively if you want, like you can still invest your money and make money completely passively if you want, and still have your money working for you and giving you a return and still owning a piece of something that's going to appreciate and have, you know, give you equity and you're going to definitely like when that asset sells or when you refi, you're going to get a lot of your investment back in many cases. And when you sell, you're going to get, you know, more money to go then invest again. So, um, the compounding interest is a really great thing. Even if you don't have the time, you can do it passively and, you know, kind of keep rolling your money into something greater, whether it's to leave for your kids or if it's for retirement or any of that. No, I mean, I think, uh, I'm not saying I don't know any syndicators or REITs that are buying homes. I'm sure they did, but I would say it's way more common for a syndicator to put you in a multifamily or some type of commercial property or something like that. than Hey, we're going to put a syndication together and we're going to try to buy a, you know, a tape of 20 homes. Like I'm not saying those days were over, but those were probably a little bit more, maybe they're coming up if that, if. We're going to see a foreclosure price or something. I think there's actually a little spike in um, single family investors just because home, there's been such a big focus on home since COVID. Um, I think there is. I still think like for me, I want to stay in my lane and stick with multifamily because in the long run, uh, it's better. And I've learned for me personally, because we've invested in a lot of different deals, whether it's like construction deals, uh, single family um, other property types. And for me, I really feel good about putting my money in and immediately getting a return on it. I don't personally really have an interest in investing in something that will hopefully bring me a return after spending even more money on it for years to like, hopefully maybe probably get a return like multifamily. I've said this to so many people is, is like pretty much a sure thing. I mean, let's say you buy a deal and you don't buy it right. And you don't get the return that you were expecting. 
it's still very hard to lose in multifamily. Like you have to completely neglect your property and just ignore it and not do anything uh, in order to lose it, in order for it to lose value, uh, in order for you to be underwater or get it, you know, have it taken away for foreclosure or whatever. Uh, it's just honestly like the safest investment I can personally think of. Like people always need a place to live. Uh, rents are going up. Homes are getting more expensive. I mean, it's just one of these things where you kind of have to be a real idiot to lose. And they did really, and it, um, I mean, as of now, it's done really well through COVID. So when we shoot this, um, the other thing is, uh, I mean, which is huge for real estate in general, but multifamily too, is, uh, the tax advantages. Yeah. You know, you buy a bigger building, you can do a cost seg on it and, um, you know, you can manage it yourself. You can do that for your residential too, by yeah. the way. I mean, we're, we're doing a cost seg on a four unit that we yeah. own, uh, right now. Um, a lot of people are like, that's kind of like a foreign concept. Um, and certainly you have to talk to your CPA because, uh, I believe you have to be considered a real estate professional to really take advantage of those benefits. But, um, so I think the goal is to get to the, to the level of being an actual real estate professional, either way, you're still going to get some write-offs. It's just not going to, you're not going to get as many if you're, as if you're a real estate professional. Um, but certainly once you get that classification and you can do cost segregation studies, um, not only that, but like right now the cares act through 2020, I mean, it's going to be over, but you can take your losses and apply it to the previous five years of income. So that's a huge tax benefit that people are taking advantage of right now. We certainly have, um, in, in addition to the Trump tax law that, that allows bonus depreciation, sometimes you don't even have to do a 1031 exchange because the bonus depreciation is better. Um, and it will kind of cancel out the capital gains. Um, so there's, it's, it's, there's some very complex uh, tax advantages to owning real estate. So you definitely want to have a CPA that's experienced in working with real estate investors and knows those laws and can advise you on it. But there are some serious tax advantages. And that is why so many of our clients have been able to not pay taxes. They make millions of dollars a year and they pay little to no tax. That's because they are real estate professionals and they understand the game and they're working with a CPA who understands it too. And they're really uh, utilizing the law to uh, its the fullest extent. Yeah, even passive. I mean, I do loans for a lot of people um, and underwriters don't even know how to underwrite them. So, you know, they send me a K-1 from a syndicator or read and they're in two massive buildings. And of course it's negative 50,000, negative 50,000. So I have to call them and I need the tax return. I can't get the tax return. Like, you couldn't, you can't get a loan. Why I made, Kenny, I made money. I know you made money, but not on paper. Did you pay tax? No, then you didn't make money on paper. So then I got to go call the syndicator and say, can you send me the tax return? Why? Oh, okay, we get all time and I get it over here. And this 500 unit property has $3 million in depreciation. Then I take my calculator and I go, okay, Mr. So-and-so, you own 10%. That's this. I add it back to the loss. And then all of a sudden I send it in the other. I was like, oh, wow, this is a loan. The guy that lost a hundred grand, he really made 200 grand. Holy crap. He didn't pay any taxes. And they look at it and go, hey, he didn't pay any tax. I go, no. Oh shit. This is, this is, they, they, they just, the light bulb clicks for everybody. They did go, wow, this is crazy. So even though he's not a, that person's not a real estate professional, but they're just getting the normal depreciation of the property. Yep. And so they're getting a K one that says negative 50,000 when he's like, no, I make $8,000 a month cash flow. So that's really cool. Yes. 
I certainly, I, I always say saving money is making money. So the less money we have to pay in taxes equals, you know, that means that we're making that much more money. So. I have a post that I guess keep talking. Cause... Okay, I'll keep talking. But I wanted to tell you that there is one other benefit to owning a multifamily that we haven't talked about. And that is using your IRA to invest. Um, you know, most uh, independent contractors such as ourselves probably have a very weak uh, 401k or IRA. Um, but if you've been working in a job and you've been contributing, like a lot of people contribute the max to their 401k, um, the thing that you uh, may not know is that you can use that to invest in real estate. Oftentimes, you know, whoever's managing that account isn't going to tell you that and you may have to convert it to a Roth uh, so you need to talk to a qualified professional about that. But the great news is, is that you can grow your retirement uh, using your your IRA or your 401k. So um, I think that's a huge benefit because if you don't have a lot of just like, you know, cash in the bank per se, uh, but you've got a really healthy retirement um, and you want to make, make that grow. I mean, I think we all know it's funny because I took a class in school when I was young and it was like, you know, give so much money a week. Um, put so much money a week towards your retirement. And by the time you're, you retire, you'll have a million dollars. Well, that's great. But I don't know that in these times in Southern California that anybody can live really that comfortably with a million dollars, just depending on where you live and your lifestyle. I think you're like, you know, life is long. So if you're 59 and a half, you know, that's a long time to live off a million dollars. Uh, so this is a great way to continue to grow your retirement and uh, through real estate and still like kind of get in the game of passively investing and making cash flow while you know that you're not physically working for. Yeah. And some people get to, you know, older in life and they're done playing the stock market game and they did well, but they're just like, oh, okay, I just want to very just like Crystal said, the safest, easiest, like let's go. And then over time, if they buy a property, that property will go up. Um, the quote that I had this morning, it's, it's not how much money you make, but how much money you keep, how hard it works for you, and how many generations you keep it for. And who's that by your fa one of your favorite guys? Robert Kiyosaki. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So that's the whole point of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I Robert Kiyosaki's like the king of, of making your money work for you. Um, and like it really resonates with us as well. I think you realize that you know, you spend your life working really hard and you want to have something to show for it other than, you know, like wrinkles and gray hair and uh, maybe a nice house or a car or something. Um, you know, you want to have cash flow. You want to be able to live a life on your terms, um, even if you want to keep working. I think it's just nice to have that there. Um, and then, of course, for us with kids, um, we have two kids. So uh, I want to have something to pass on to my kids, but I also want them to understand the value of work and, you know, investing in the properties and how we've made that happen. Um, you know, so we introduce them to what we're doing. We bring them along uh, when we're going to properties and checking things. And so it's a very good learning lesson for them. So I think that's also a benefit as a parent uh, for me personally. I think it's just a, like a very good lesson in, you know, learning about how money works uh, for our kids. Yeah, we were um, this last weekend, we were at our house. Um, and I was talking to Kevin's daughter. She's like, God, why are you asking so many questions? And I was just like, she's like 16. Yeah. Her friend's so. 15. I don't yeah. know what, something like that. And I was like, so what apps are you guys on? And what's this? And I was like, so I asked, I said, what's the biggest stress in a 16 year old life? 
And I was shocked at the answer. They're like, success. I was like, what? And I think because we live in a world where you can find like all of this information online and you see all these things. So a six, she was telling me 16 year olds and people in high school, they want the house, they want the car, they want to be successful. Like at that age, there's already a stress to get there. I could see that because at 16, you're like, man, I'm getting close to graduating. And then I'm like an adult and like, Whoa, bills. But, and but so jobs she, and... so we were talking about like uh, how to market on like TikTok, and she's like, you know, you guys should get in there. And she says, if you just find us up, but she goes, you guys can help educate. So, you know, the point is, is that I feel like I meet so many people, and I always tell the same freaking thing over and over. It's like the conversation from the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I can literally tell you if I look at somebody's financial situation at six years old and I get on the phone and I have a conversation and they figure out what I do, I guarantee you that I can write down exactly how the conversation is going to go in because it's either the person I'm dealing with either didn't save enough and they're like trying to make up for lost time. And they're like, damn it, I shouldn't have bought the car or the house and all this shit when I was younger. And, and they look just even a simple compounding interest. I could have put money in the calendar. I could have a lot more in retirement. And they're tired. They're burnt out. And now they're like, I don't want to work 10 more years. I don't want to do this. So I keep saying the same thing. You know, the younger you get started and start learning this stuff, all the information's out there. This isn't like 1980 where you got to have your grandma or your mom or get on your bike and ride to the freaking library and go tell the lady, where do I find real estate investing for dummies? And she pulls out the little thing, gives you a card, and you got to go walk through the library and find the stupid book and pull it up and then go, can I rent this? And then if you don't bring it back in time, they start charging you for overcharging fees like Blockbuster. This is simply go on Google or go on Amazon or listen to podcasts. And the information right there, like Crystal said, is if you're going to do this, you should start educating your kid as well, like what you're doing. Because if if they're going to inherit this, you know, or stuff like that, it's just as important. So it's like, once again, why multifamily? I think the other thing is too, is the generational wealth of it, the passing out. It's like, you can pass your kids $10 million, I guarantee you they'll piss it away. But if you pass your kids $10 million of free and clear property and they were in the game with you the whole time and they understand it, they might want to maybe yank some cash out to grow it or something. But I mean, Crystal, you meet more people than I do where kids get the money, it's half and half. Some get a building, they literally sell it and that shit's like Ferrari, Porsche, nice house, this. And other people are like, hell no, we're going to like fix up the house. And they're, they're like, we've been in the game. We've been helping grandma or grandpa, you know, manage this shit for 20 years. Now it's my turn. They didn't want to do this. They didn't want to do that. Well, now they're out. Now I'm going to go pull the cash, redo it and do that. I mean, we've seen both, you know, so. For sure. Yeah. I'm always surprised by the amount of people who don't see the generational wealth aspect of it. Uh, like people who are inheriting, like the first thing they want to do is just like sell the properties and take the cash. Like that is what they want to do. I mean, I see both, but, um, more often than not, I see people just wanting to sell the property and take the cash. And it, I think it's because, uh, Bobby Castro talked about this too, uh, in a video we were watching. Um, if you don't know who he is, he's a, a big multifamily owner. His story is really cool. Um, and he's super entertaining, but, um, he was saying the importance of teaching your kids because you don't want them to lose it all. And that happens so often too. Like we didn't come from parents who, have a lot of money. In fact, like we joke, we're like, we're going to get like bills to pay when our parents die. You know, it's like, you know, we're going to get liabilities, not assets. So, um, yeah. Well, cup's so, empty. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like one of these things that, you know, a lot of people do the job of doing the investing, but they don't get their family involved and in understanding why, and what is this about? And why are you even doing this? Like, what is the point of this? 
And why do you even like it? Like, this isn't fun. And, you know, it's like we were saying another guy that sold his company and, you know, made all this money. Well, he wants to go, you know, be the developer building $50 million homes in LA because it's the glamorous thing. Like I, nobody wants to drive by your, you know, apartment building in national city and, you know, that's not sexy. Right. But, you know, making money is sexy. Like, you know, not losing your money is sexy and like showing your family the value of creating wealth and why you're doing it all is just a, a recipe to like have a better guarantee that they're not going to lose it all and that they're going to understand. And that education is just so important because that how sad would that be for us to like, you know, for example, us to create all of this and then our kids just go piss it away. Like that's not happening. I can tell you that right now. So I'm not going to let it, <laughs> but you know, it's a lot of planning and a lot of time and, and investing in their education and, you know, creating a trust or whatever that doesn't let them do that anyway, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. But uh, the generational wealth aspect is a really, really big key. So you build wealth for yourself and then that you can pass that down to generations and generations. Yeah. And honestly, it's really cool. I mean, cause we get to do the financing I mean, uh, you know, I can't mention names, but Crystal knows people like I think about like um, there's lots of different people, but is one grandpa, you know, some of them didn't do anything crazy. They just bought property. They just were a simple person. They could have been a teacher. They could have been a painter. They just had a business and they just saw the vision, had passion about property. They weren't even that good at it, you know, but they went and bought two buildings, three buildings, five buildings, but then they passed away. And then you realize that that those buildings are feeding four or five different families and a, like they're getting 250 a year. They're getting 250, 250, 250, you know, cash flow that it, it changes life. So some of them are lazy. Some of them are, you know, hustlers, but it's the point. It's amazing how somebody builds something and this gets passed, but it can, it takes care of people too. So it's really, I mean, I'm saying this because a lot of people don't see it. Oh, I hear about it, this and that, but it's really true. This happens right now. All the money that's getting passed down. I mean, we're living in through the greatest uh, transfer of wealth ever. And the next, I mean, look at the politicians that run our country. I mean, they're in their, uh, they're in the ninth inning here, folks. Let's be honest. Like there's all the whole regimes moving out. Like, you know, look at Jerome Powell. Nobody knows. I mean, that guy's worth $150 million. I mean, what is he doing running the Fed? I mean, whatever. But the point is all these people have money. They're going to go inherit it. But you know, and you, if you like, take a look at Donald Trump, you don't have to like him, you can hate him, whatever, that's no point. But when he passes, his kids are not going to sit on their ass. They're going to go take the empire and make it bigger because he basically laid the foundation. Exactly. So, and you know, maybe I guess people would argue before him, his, his father laid the foundation, but he continued on the legacy and you can see it's being passed down to generations. Exactly. So thanks for listening. That is, uh, the benefits of owning multifamily. And if you ever have questions or comments, please reach out. Yeah. And if you think, uh, you know, anybody who would, uh, needs to hear this, who, who would be interested, um, we would love for you to share it. And we always appreciate a review. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.